Today's Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, and this is 5 at 8. With you today are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about BP's new profit-oriented approach to meet the global energy demand, the significant rally of Chinese stocks supported by increased buying of shares, Itoku ending its partnership with Israeli defense company Elbit Systems due to the war in Gaza, Meta's plan to promote technological standards for identifying AI-generated content, and NASA's Juno Orbiter's recent close-up flyby of Jupiter's moon Io. Story number one. According to the New York Times, BP's new CEO, Murray Auchincloss, has stated that the company will take a more profit-oriented approach and focus on meeting the growing demand for energy globally. While BP aims to become an integrated energy company in the future, Auchincloss emphasized the importance of investing in the current oil and gas industry to maintain stable prices. The company will also allocate funds to alternative energy sources like biofuels and hydrogen. Auchincloss's approach appears to differ from his predecessor, Bernard Looney, who had initiated a significant shift into renewable technologies. Can you believe it, Linda? BP's new CEO, Murray Auchincloss, is taking a different path. Looks like he's putting profitability back on the table, even if it means a potential shift back towards traditional fossil fuels. Yes, Mark, it's certainly noteworthy. While it's understandable from a business perspective, I can't help but feel concerned about the environmental impact. The pressure to shift towards cleaner energy sources is increasing, but so is the global demand for energy. It's a complex situation. Absolutely. It's a tricky balancing act. On one hand, companies like BP need to stay profitable. And there's no denying that oil and gas are still major sources of revenue. On the other, they've got a responsibility to invest in sustainable energy for the sake of our planet. It's a tension that many energy companies are grappling with. The transition to renewable energy is not just a moral imperative, but also a business strategy. Companies that fail to adapt may find themselves struggling in the future. I guess it comes down to finding the middle ground. Like Auchincloss said, they're investing in oil and gas to keep prices in check, but they're also exploring alternative energy sources like biofuels and hydrogen. It's not an outright rejection of renewables, but rather a, hmm, let's call it a diversified approach. A diversified approach. I like that, Mark. It's a more pragmatic view, perhaps. But it begs the question, will this strategy be enough to meet the increasing societal and governmental pressures for reduced carbon footprints? Ultimately, only time will tell. Story number two. Chinese stocks experienced a significant rally, with the Shanghai Composite and Shenzhen Component Indices posting their largest daily gains in years. According to CNN, the rebound came after the Chinese sovereign wealth fund, Central Huijin Investment, announced increased buying of shares to stabilize the market. The move was supported by the China Securities Regulatory Commission, which also encouraged other institutional investors to enter the stock market. Despite the rally, the underlying challenges faced by the Chinese economy, such as weak demand and trade tensions with the United States, remain unresolved. Good news for the Chinese stock market yesterday, Linda. It's quite a strong rebound after a rough start to the year. We saw the Shanghai Composite Index up by 3.2%, marking the biggest daily increase since March 2022. The Chinese Sovereign Wealth Fund stepping in to buy shares seems to have boosted investor confidence. Yes, Mark. It was indeed a welcome reprieve for investors. The Chinese authorities are making a serious effort to stabilize the ailing stock market. 
The equity arm of state-owned China Investment Corp, Central Huijin Investment, expanded its ETF holdings on mainland stock markets, which seems to have instilled some confidence. Absolutely. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it kind of reminds me of the 2008 U.S. subprime crisis when the U.S. government stepped in to bail out big banks and auto companies. The government intervention was seen as necessary to prevent a total economic meltdown then. And here we're seeing a similar approach by the Chinese authorities. Yes, it does draw parallels, Mark. But remember, the effectiveness and sustainability of such interventions can be a double-edged sword. While they can provide temporary relief and prevent immediate collapse, they don't necessarily address underlying structural issues. In China's case, weak demand, deflationary pressures, and a struggling real estate sector are still prominent challenges. Right, Linda. There's always a risk with government interventions. They can often distort market dynamics, and in some cases might even deter foreign investors who prefer less regulatory influence. But on the flip side, during a crisis, these interventions can prevent a severe economic downturn. So it's a kind of a delicate balance that needs to be struck. And it's also important to consider the reactions of domestic investors. In this case, we saw that angry investors took to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing's social media account to vent their outrage about the stock market meltdown. This shows the level of frustration and desperation. It also raises the question, how will this intervention affect future investment decisions? Great point, Linda. It's this reaction that makes me think about the Eurozone crisis, where the EU's austerity measures were met with widespread public protests. It's clear that the public's response to such interventions can be volatile, to say the least. In China's case, I guess it remains to be seen if this intervention will restore long-term confidence or just serve as a short-term band-aid. And it's not just about the immediate impact. We also need to consider the long-term implications for the Chinese economy. If these issues persist and the government continues to intervene, it could lead to a cycle that's hard to break. But at the same time, without intervention, the consequences could be even more severe. It's a complex situation with no easy solutions. Story number three. In a report from CNN, it is stated that Itachu, one of Japan's largest trading firms, has decided to end its partnership with Israeli defense company Elbit Systems due to the war in Gaza. The decision was made following a ruling by the International Court of Justice, ICJ, and guidance from Japan's foreign ministry. The ICJ ordered Israel to prevent genocide against Palestinians in Gaza, but did not call for a suspension of its military campaign. Itachu's aviation unit will cut ties with Elbit Systems by the end of February. The partnership had faced protests and calls for boycotts in Japan and Malaysia. Would you look at that, Linda? Itochu pulling the plug on its partnership with Elbit Systems. Now I'm all for businesses making decisions that align with their values, but I'm not quite sure if I agree with this move. Why is that, Mark? It seems to me like Itochu is taking a principled stand here, following the ICJ's ruling and Japan's foreign ministry's advice. They are reacting to international pressures and public sentiment, which is commendable. Sure, Linda, and I respect that. But let's not forget that this partnership was originally set up at the request of Japan's defense ministry. It was meant to import defense equipment necessary for Japan's security. The question is, where does that leave Japan's self-defense force now? I see your point, Mark. But we also need to consider the impact of Itachu's partnership with Elbit on its reputation. There were protests in Tokyo, calls for boycotts in Malaysia. 
This decision could be a way to protect their brand and uphold ethical business practices. True, Linda, but still, it's a complex issue. Businesses often find themselves caught between a rock and a hard place when it comes to these international conflicts. The challenge is to balance ethical considerations with their primary responsibilities to their stakeholders. Agreed, Mark. It's definitely not an easy decision to make. But it's important to recognize that businesses have a role to play in conflict resolution. Their economic actions can and do influence political agendas. Well, Linda, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. As always, it's a pleasure to have these thought-provoking discussions with you. Likewise, Mark. It's always interesting to hear your perspective. Story number four. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, plans to promote technological standards that can be used by companies to identify artificially generated content, as reported by the New York Times. The standards would enable social media platforms to quickly recognize content created using artificial intelligence, AI, and add labels to it. Meta's proposal aims to address the urgent need to detect AI-generated content, which has been used to spread misinformation, particularly during election campaigns. While not a perfect solution, Meta hopes that this initiative, as stated by the New York Times, will encourage industry-wide adoption of standards for identifying and signaling AI-generated content. Where do we start, Linda? This issue is like opening a can of worms. Meta's proposal to standardize detection of AI-generated content it's about time we had this conversation. It's a step in the right direction, but it's no silver bullet. I agree, Mark. It's a complex issue. While it's crucial to have technological standards to identify this content, we also have to ask ourselves, what happens next? How do we ensure that these standards are being implemented and abided by? It's not just about creating these standards, but the enforcement and the follow-up that's equally important. And it's not just about the tech giants, right? It's about the entire industry. We're talking about a shared responsibility here. But, uh, I'm optimistic. This could be a catalyst for other companies to join in and adopt these standards. Yes, a shared responsibility, Mark. But we can't overlook the potential misuse of these AI tools, especially with the upcoming U.S. presidential elections. Remember last year? The fake videos of President Biden? It's concerning. We need to ensure that these tools aren't used to manipulate public opinion, or misinform voters. Fake news, misinformation. It's like a wildfire. Once it gets going, it's tough to control. And that's where the government and the public have a role to play. We need to advocate for standards and regulations for AI-generated content. And these tech companies, they need to be held accountable for their actions. Agreed, Mark. This isn't just about freedom of speech. It's about the potential harm that can come from AI-generated misinformation. We need to strike a balance. And well... This is only the beginning, the first step in a much larger conversation. Story number five. According to the New York Times, NASA's Juno orbiter recently made its second close-up flyby of Io, Jupiter's third largest moon and the most volcanic world in our solar system. The flyby provided even more views of Io's volcanic landscape, including a possible double volcanic plume that Juno had never captured before. Scientists are also observing new lava flows and changes to familiar features on the moon. The goal of the mission is to understand the driving force behind Io's volcanoes, which may be a global magma ocean or pockets of molten rock. Although this is the last close flyby, Juno will continue to conduct more distant observations every 60 days to monitor the ever-changing moon.
Where else can we see such dynamic and explosive beauty if not in space? I mean, look at Io. NASA's Juno Orbiter's latest snapshots are just amazing. The moon's violent expulsions of sulfur and additional compounds lighted up in orange, yellow, and blue hues. It's like a cosmic fireworks display. True, Mark. But let's not forget that these beautiful images also reveal a harsh reality. Io is the most volcanic world in our solar system, with a surface that's continually reshaping itself. It's no place for a picnic. And these violent volcanic eruptions indicate intense geological activity beneath the moon's crust, which could signify a global magma ocean. Ah, a global magma ocean. Now that's a sight. While it's not hospitable for us, it's a gold mine of information. It's like an open book about the geological and volcanic processes that possibly mirror those on Earth. Who knows what we could learn from this? Plus, isn't it fascinating to see such dramatic changes in real time? It's like watching a live-action movie. It is indeed fascinating, Mark, but I think we also need to focus on the wider implications of these discoveries. While we marvel at these images, scientists are working tirelessly to decipher them to understand what's really driving these volcanoes. The data from these observations could take weeks, even months, to analyze. It's a painstaking process with no immediate answers. That's the beauty of it, isn't it, Linda? The not knowing, the anticipation. It makes every discovery, every understanding of the universe beyond our world, even more exhilarating. Juno's mission might be ending, but the exploration and learning, they never end. Yes, Mark, the exploration and learning are indeed endless. But let's not forget the immense resources and efforts that go into these missions. The Juno Orbiter, just like the Galileo probe before it, represents years of hard work and billions of dollars. We must ensure these investments are justified and lead to significant advancements in our scientific understanding. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.